Welcome to the Parental Development Podcast. I'm Leah. And I'm Becca. And we're two sisters, one with kids. And one without. One with questions. And one with answers. One who's a licensed psychologist. And one who just wants everyone to hear what she has to say. We both have a heart to see parents succeed and kids thrive. In this podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of topics, all with the goal of promoting conversation and learning. Thanks for joining us. Let's chat. Hey, everybody. Welcome back again to another episode. I feel like we open every episode the same way, like people forget where they are. (laughs) But you're here. (laughs) Because you don't know what you selected. Right. Parental development. This is episode 33, believe it or not. That's crazy. That's a long time. I was just thinking, I know. today, I wonder how long we've been doing this, because it feels like, like forever. <laughs> I, know. I know. It's crazy. Seven months, I think. Yeah, so thanks, everybody, for listening today and for the past seven months, or if you're new here, welcome. Today, we are going to tackle a topic that we have gotten a lot of feedback about or questioning on I don't know how you say that. But anyway, something that we get asked a lot, and that is, how do you get your partner on board? If you are one party in the family that's adopting this parenting style and your other partner is not on board, how do you get them involved and to buy into this whole idea? So that's what we're going to tackle today. And take it away, because I got... I, I've got no wisdom on this department. <laughs> this department. <laughs> well, as she said, this is our most asked question. Yes, I mean, that's a good way to say it. I did not say and- <laughs> it so eloquently. <laughs> and even when we tap in to the Facebook parenting groups or any other kind of parenting pages, this seems to be the one that just over and over and over again, how do I get my partner on board? Mm-hmm. And so we'll talk through some of it. We're not going to be able to answer all of it. When I told Ben what we were talking about, he goes, well, that is going to take forever. That's going to be like the longest episode. And I was like, no, I'll try to keep it short. He goes, whatever. Yeah, he knows. (laughs) So we'll do the best we can. I'll cruise right through. Just for some state of the union, let's figure out where we're starting from here. There are, generally speaking, Four parenting styles. This is like based on research, based on like psychology, lots of research. This is pretty well accepted in the fields, all the fields. Okay. Four parenting styles. They're on kind of like a two different axes of demandingness and responsiveness. Okay. And so there's, you know, four quadrants. Yeah. The first one is permissive. Mm-hmm. This is high responsiveness. Low demandingness. Mm -hmm. This is just what it sounds like, right? You rarely give or enforce rules, just overindulgent to avoid conflict. Mm -hmm. That's permissive. We talk about that a lot of if you try to adopt this, what we kind of hope people would have, you can go permissive and that that can be problematic. So that's, that's the first one. The one in the quadrant right below that is being neglectful or uninvolved. The name of this one changes a little bit, but it it's uninvolved or neglectful. That is low responsiveness and low demandingness. Mm-hmm. That is also just what it sounds like. Parents are uninvolved or absent, little nurturance or guidance. There's really, I mean, they're just, they don't know where their kids are. They're, they don't ask about their day. Mm-hmm. They're just uninvolved. They seem to not care. 
The other two are authoritative and authoritarian. We strive and what we promote, any kind of gentle, conscious, attachment-based, all those things, would fall in the authoritative quadrant. Mm -hmm. High responsiveness, high demanding. And again, that's solving problems together, clear rules and boundaries, uh, focused on relationships, using natural consequences, all the things we've talked about. Authoritative. Mm-hmm. Authoritarian is probably what we refer to when we talk about traditional parenting. That would be classified as authoritarian. High demandingness, low responsiveness. Very parent-driven rules and punishments. This kind of my way or the highway because I said so mm-hmm. type of parenting. Okay. So those are the four styles. That's what we're, we're talking about. There is, I did an actual like deep dive into research, which I have not done for a hot minute. You're welcome. Just in like, just in like <laughs> my life. For that little joy you got from deep diving. I try to uh, avoid, you know, there were, there's a time in my life where I did this very regularly, but there are, I mean, just tons and tons and tons of research studies that look at the different types of parenting style, and outcomes for children. Mm -hmm. One thing that my degree certainly gives me is the ability to read research. And over the last two years, lots of people think that they can read research in all different capacities. Mm -hmm. But there is an art and a science to reading research. But the research is very, very, very clear on that, that the most effective parenting for the most positive outcomes is having two authoritative parents. It's pretty much a done deal Mm -hmm. in the research world, which is why this is so frustrating for people like me, because you just want to say like, there's 30 years of research Mm -hmm. that shows that authoritative parenting provides the best outcomes for kids on many different measures depression, school commitment, delinquency, just overall success and behavior and social outcomes, all those things. What I then wanted to look at is trying to find research that really compared when there are two different parenting styles in a family. Mm -hmm. Because that is the main question we've been getting. I am this way. My partner is this way. Right. And so trying to figure out how to do that. Is it common knowledge that there's like the scholar part of Google, like scholar.google.com? Is that common knowledge? Uh, Never heard of that in my life. Oh, okay. (laughs) It is a part of Google (laughs) that is scholar, just like it sounds, .google.com. And it actually has like research. So not just Googling and like reading blogs. This is a site of Google that is actual research papers and articles that are in the World Wide Web. I was today years old when I just found that out. (laughs) It's very handy. I did not know that. So that's where I go now. I used to have all kinds of libraries and everything, you know, because when you're in school, you Mm -hmm. can get into all the things. 
But if you're looking for like actual research of anything, you mm-hmm. can go to that Google Scholar. Sometimes it's hard to find. You have to, there's certain boxes you can click that say like, I want the actual PDF because sometimes it'll link you to like a different mm-hmm. website where you have to pay for the article. But you can find like studies, mm. legitimate, accurate research, which if you are looking to research things like true research, I recommend that, not just Googling. Mm-hmm. Like that gets us to a certain point. And then if you want like the real deal, you got to go to the scholar. So just a little tidbit huh. for all of you looking to do like <laughs> research, in-depth <papers>. research <laughs> on the things. But that's where I went. Okay. And I found one particular study that I will link in the show notes. And I'll try to link several others because I found a lot that were proving the authoritative parents being being the, the best, most positive outcomes for mm-hmm. kids. But this one really was looking at the differences between parenting styles and how that impacts all of these outcomes on various platforms or measures. And so the title is Linking Mother-Father Differences in Parenting to a Topology of Family Parenting Styles and Adolescent Outcomes. Oh my gosh. I know. (laughs) It's only 30 pages. It's actually a fairly easy read. (laughs) As research papers go. It's only 30 pages. (laughs) Listen, if you're reading a real research article, here's another little tidbit. You start with the abstract to find out, like, is this even what the heck I'm looking for? Okay. Mm -hmm. Then sometimes there's some history where we want to know, like, why are we looking for this? Then you get into the junk that, that not very many people understand, the actual method, the results, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you jump at the bottom to the discussion part, that is where they usually put it in like normal people language. Gotcha. To say like, okay, now I'm going to take these results and I'm going to tell you what they mean. Mm. So if you start with the abstract and then you can skip right down to the results or I mean the discussion. Discussion. That's the word. <laughs> and you can skip over the like the real scientific psychobabble mm. stuff. Yes. So scroll P to the values bottom. and chi-squares and all that stuff. Scroll to the bottom. Yeah. And then it'll tell you what it means. Okay. There's okay. another little tidbit. So really <laughs> it's 30 pages, but you only have to read about three. Okay. All right. So here's what they say. They did a study. It was 451 two-parent families. They looked at warmth, hostility, delinquency, depression, all kinds of things. What they found is that most authoritarian parents, so that's the traditional ones, Mm -hmm. are paired with one of the other types of parenting. Mm -hmm. It is uncommon to have two authoritarian parents. They guessed because they'd be fighting for control, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was an interesting hypothesis about why that might be. Mm -hmm. But there's only about 10% of the parents and families that they looked at had two authoritarian parents. For the families that had two authoritative parents, had the lowest levels of depression and the highest levels of school commitment. Hmm. So that research seems to suggest that the effects of this type of parenting, this authoritative parenting, are amplified when both parents adopt it. Mm-hmm. Then they looked at, like, differences between parents. This was interesting, not surprising to me, but 
an authoritative mother can compensate for an uninvolved father. Mm-hmm. However, an authoritative father cannot compensate for an uninvolved mother. Mm. And why might that be? Attachment. Yeah. Right? That yeah. is pure attachment. So an uninvolved mother, regardless of the parenting style of the the father in this study, had the worst outcomes. Mm. And they, looking at research, they said that's that's pretty consistent across the board, which again, does not surprise me one bit mm-hmm. that that is an uninvolved mother is real problematic for kids just because of attachment and abandonment and all the things we've talked about in some of those other mm-hmm. studies or episodes, sorry. So one of the other things that you, if you're going to start reading research, which I recommend to everybody, <laughs> is understanding where to look. Like every research study, true research study, should have a limitations section, should tell you what is wrong with this study, what is mm-hmm. wrong with this sample, what could bias the results, what do we need to pay attention to. This study while a relatively big sample size of 451 families, that's decent. Mm-hmm. They were all white and all middle class. Mm-hmm. And they were all mother and a father. Mm-hmm. And so we have carved, I mean, like, we've missed large swaths of the population. Right. Yeah, That just tells us, that doesn't negate all of the information. It just tells us where the limitations are. Mm-hmm. And so usually... Researchers will say additional research needs to be done to address these limitations. And so we need, you know, more racial and cultural diversity, different makeups of families, all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff in order to get a better understanding for how this plays out in families of color, in same-sex families, like how all of that impacts or not the results that we have seen in these all-white middle-class families. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was my first thought is let's just talk about like the research of why we believe this is the best way to parent children. Mm -hmm. Many people would say like, well, that's just because you don't want to be the bad guy or you just let your kids get away with everything. La la la. Whatever people say about the people who practice this, like, nope, it's Mm research-based. This is what, again, 30 years of research has shown us this is the best way. This is has the most positive outcomes for our children. Let's just assume that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we get into like, okay, what do we do if we're not on the same page and our partner is like wildly different? Mm-hmm. Where I have seen it the most and heard it the most, and I'm going to talk in like sweeping generalities here, is mothers who tend to be authoritative, and fathers who tend to be authoritarian. Mm -hmm. We could probably do a whole other episode about the gender, like roles and norms tied up in that Mm -hmm. and why that is, you know, about women and mothers just tending to be more nurturing and the attachment they have with children and how that plays out differently. But the flip side of that is, I think you said it before we came on, just men who have grown up in an environment, certainly in a parenting environment that values, quote unquote, toughness Mm -hmm. and 
not showing emotion. And, you know, we hear it a lot of, I don't want to raise a sissy or Mm -hmm. they need to be tough, all those things. And so that certainly plays into this, I believe. And that's a bigger issue than we can address on a parenting podcast. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to, we're just going to label it. We're just going (laughs) to name it and then talk about how do you work around it, I guess. Okay. (laughs) I will say, I do think it's important I think for anything that you are on the same page as it relates to parenting in general, you know, what are we going to teach our kids about religion and what are we going to teach them about sex and what are our values around family and like all of the different value systems that we have Mm -hmm. that are then communicated to our children. I think it's important that while you don't have to be like in lockstep, there needs to be some consistency where one parent isn't telling them one thing and the other parent telling them something completely different. That can be confusing. Right. And so that's important, I think, to it's a good goal to have to try to be on the same page. And now understanding with at least this limited research that I found, and there may be more, I mean, I didn't research for hours and hours, but that it's amplified when both parents are in sync with this type of parenting. Well, and I think, too, the inverse of that could also be true. Like, if you have two authoritarian parents, the negative effects of that would also mm-hmm. be amplified. So it's not it's not a far stretch to think that being in line or in tandem with your partner would amplify the effects of raising a child either way, whatever quadrant right. you fall in. So that's not a stretch. Knowing what we know, you know, of seven months of this podcast, developmentally, what we know about kids and how this type of parenting facilitates a deeper emotional growth and awareness and that kind of thing. Like it it only makes sense that two parents parenting authoritatively mm-hmm. would be the best case scenario. Right. I also think it's important and I don't think this can be overstated, it's tricky to not undermine each other Mm -hmm. when you are on opposite, really any differences, that you don't undermine the other person. You know, to take their authority away can in some instances be more damaging in their ability to parent kids than their style in general. I will say the research did show as I looked over and over again, that one parent being authoritative can kind of cover for a different style. Yeah. It can. And so I say that just to say if, I mean, I hear the desperation in some of these parents of like, my partner is just like, does things that I just think are terrible and I can't get them on board and I can't get them to stop and I can't trying to do this and it's doing it by myself and all those things. There is research to suggest that you staying the course and being this way as a parent by yourself even can cover and mitigate any negative impacts that a different kind of parenting might have, which I think is important just as like a source of hope (laughs) to say it's okay. All is not lost if you're not both doing this exactly the same way. I think that's important. Yeah, I think you talked about that too. Maybe it was in the foster care episode episode where I don't know if it's a research study that I read, probably not, or just an article that I read online where kids that 
grew up in difficult backgrounds or come from difficult home lives or whatever, there may have just been one teacher, like one mm-hmm. teacher who was a positive, um, supportive person in their life. That one person made the difference in their life, how the trajectory of their life. So it would be the same idea of yep. one person being steady and calm and and supportive can kind of anchor that kid and, like you said, mitigate some of the other negative influences that they may have in their life, whether that's a parent or teacher or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that influence is going to be even heightened as a parent. Yeah. We know, yeah. Prim- we know primary caregivers just have a step right. above everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, for sure, a teacher, any, it's one caring adult. Mm-hmm. Any caring adult mitigates a lot of the junk. Yeah. That caring adult being a parent. Mm-hmm you know, even ramps that up even more, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So some of what I've seen in some of these groups, (laughs) I see some crazy things in some of these groups, Mm -hmm. BT dubs. One of the crazier things that I, crazy is probably not a super helpful (laughs) word, but just feels really not productive, is someone will say, how do I get my partner on board? They spank my kid or they yell at them, they shame them, whatever. Many, many people get on there and say, like, you should just leave them. Just divorce Mm. them. That's unacceptable. Just leave. I get it. Uh, Not helpful. Mm. Not, not helpful. (laughs) Uh, It's just not helpful. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to say that. I can say if Ben were someone who was spanking the boys regularly, it would be a real challenge Mm -hmm. for me. So there may be some instances where... As a parent that practices this way, you do kind of think about, like, where is my line in the sand of Mm -hmm. this is just too much for me to manage? Again, that does not have to be the same level where I would put that line in the sand. But I think you can think through that of what what really flies in the face of really my values as a person and a parent and where would I have to really think about, like, man, we got some serious problems. Mm -hmm. I also think... And we'll talk about some ideas and ways ways to maybe start these conversations or have them. I do regularly think if you are in a committed relationship, whether that's a marriage or not, and you're raising kids together, but really anything that your partner would come to you and say, this is really important to me and I want to talk about it and I have some concerns and I want to come to a place together where we are on the same page and your partner says, I'm not interested. That to me is almost more of like a relationship problem as opposed to just a parenting issue. Yeah. And I don't say that again. My message is not like, well, you should just leave. Just just run away. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes we use these things, whether it's money or parenting or whatever it is, as like, we just need to just tell me what to do in this instance when really... Mm -hmm. If you have a partner that doesn't care that something is important to you and that it's bothering you and you want to work together to fix it, that doesn't feel good to me from like a relational standpoint, Mm -hmm. just of, you know, the validation and the support, all the things we would want to do with our kids. Like, yeah, some of this is masquerading as parenting, but really is relationship problems. Yeah, And you you have a marriage problem or you have a relationship problem. Mm -hmm. You need to go address that. Parenting is like the least of your worries. Mm-hmm. That is the thing that is in your face, and that's the symptom. That's not the problem. And so those are kind of my two caveats 
for then what we do next. So if you have somebody that you just are button heads with and you can't get on the same page, assuming we're just going to assume that everybody's willing to talk, everybody's willing to have conversations and like Mm -hmm. work towards a common goal. I would want to know like, what are your actual concerns? Not just you think this is the way, but what are the concerns you have about this type of parenting and or what are the benefits that you see from maintaining a different style of parenting to see where we are, where we diverge, mm-hmm. where we really are missing each other. The one I have seen most often and heard most often is either you let them get away with everything mm-hmm. or they're going to be sissies, a bunch of mamby pamby people. Mm-hmm. Those are probably the two most common. And then, because I think that lets you like have pointed conversations of like, okay, let's look at this thing. Let's look for maybe some information or let's just talk about it Mm -hmm. and try and figure out how we can come to some kind of an agreement, knowing that that's your concern. Here's my concerns. How can we meet in the middle somewhere or address both of them at the same time or at least just have an understanding of what we're doing here. Right. And where each person is, maybe. Then I think you need to figure out how your partner is motivated. Most people, as far as like changing their mind about thing, most people generally are either motivated more based on like emotion mm-hmm. or logic and reasoning. And some of us are a mixture of how do we, you know, get from A to B or change our opinions on things. So if you have a more emotional partner, I would think sharing your why behind what you want to do. Certainly there are emotionally provoking mediums that you can use, whether that's videos or podcasts or that kind of thing. But to come at it from a more emotional kind of standpoint of trying to kind of move the needle a little bit with them. Mm -hmm. If you have people that are more logical and really just need facts, then I would go to the research. (laughs) Scholar.google.com. That's right. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Do that. (laughs) Most people who even say their logic and reasoning don't want research articles, although that speaks to me. Right. But I am not normal (laughs) in many ways, but for Mm -hmm. sure that way. Mm Mm-hmm. But there are many, many, like a lot of the books we recommend, The No Drama Discipline, The Whole Brain Child, they are very scientifically based. They are written by a psychiatrist who specializes in neurobiology. They are not just like fluff pieces. The beauty of that is you have Dan Siegel doing the neurobiology scientific stuff, and then you have Tina Payne Bryson coming in and making it practical and the fluffiness or, you know, the more like implementation, integration stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that balances that out. But many, many times, if they are more logical, they have to just see the facts and the research. And it is plenty. Mm -hmm. There is plenty out there to show them so that they can start to just get a different understanding. The other thing I think is important to kind of pay attention to is how, how might they receive information And that is different for all the people. So when I was starting this, again, eight or nine years ago, I don't think like audiobooks were as big of a thing or, you know, Mm -hmm. certainly there wasn't as much like social media 
stuff. And I desperately wanted Ben to get some of the information that I was learning through books because I love to read. But that <laughs> that guy ain't reading no book. <laughs> he ain't doing it. It's not happening. No matter and he loves me very much, but it ain't happening. <laughs> so one thing I did is because I told him it was important to me, I would read that book at night before we went to bed. It was very romantic. But we would <laughs> go to bed and I would read a chapter or two of We Started with No Bad Kids by Janet Lansbury. And I would read that book just a few pages a night because I knew then he would listen to the information, but mm -hmm. he was not going to take it in himself. I had to figure out a different way to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I would read it and we would talk about it. And then as situations came up, we would like, you know, kind of correlate it back to the book or say like, oh, that's like what we read or remember all this stuff. Now, even now, sometimes I will send him podcasts or TikToks or whatever. Now there is so much. Yeah media and so many ways to get information, there really is not much of an excuse other than the person's just not willing to do it, which again, then I think you have more of a relational problem yeah, than an information problem. So how do they receive information? Is that books, audiobooks, podcasts, there are TikTok accounts, Instagram, there are just, just talking about it, you know, just having conversations with you about it if this is your parenting style. There is just so much information. And so part of it, I think, is just saying, like, how does this person learn anything or gain any new mm -hmm. information, whatever that might be? And then look for particular ways to get that information to them. I think sometimes we want it to happen so badly and so quickly that we just become annoying about it. Mm. I'm talking from experience myself. <laughs> And they just think like, leave me alone. I'll listen to it when I listen to it. So much like anything in your relationship, I think they're, they're just, you just have to talk about it and say, this mm -hmm. is important to me. Can you agree to listen to that by Friday? And then we'll put the kids to bed and just give me 30 minutes. Let's talk about it and see what happens. I think there just has to be a grace in that to know mm -hmm. this is a massive shift we have talked about that over and over again, that if this is not the way you were raised, which not a lot of us our age were, mm -hmm. in the the group that has young kids, we were not raised this way, many of us. And everything in society says, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Do not do that. Which again, I cannot understand because of all the research. I can't, I don't get it. But here we are. And so we're asking for like massive shifts in thinking and mm -hmm. beliefs and approaches and all of it. And so it is not going to happen overnight. It is not going to be pretty. And they may never get to where you fully are. But coming up with some ideas of how can we at least become closer together. Mm-hmm. And more on the same page so we don't undermine each other, I think is probably a good place to start as you start trying to make any kind of significant changes in parenting. I mean, it's not a secret. Typically, it is the female, it is the mom that is wanting to or has already attempted to 
adopt this parenting style and it's the dad that is like hell no needs his ass beat like it's like that it's that's typically the dynamic and so while I understand I mean I'm no I'm not a parent but I under I can understand wanting so desperately for him to be where you are because and we've talked about this before, like it feels more natural in your body, just biologically, physically to parent that way, I think. And so I understand wanting you wanting him to be on board, but there is a level of extending some grace because there is, it is such a seismic shift. And like we've talked about that just in me seeing how you've parented and how mm-hmm. that was such a shift for me, just watching you parent your own kids, my nephews, you know. And so I think there does have to be some grace because it it is such a dramatic change. And there is, as much as we want to fight against gender norms and society putting all these ridiculous expectations on men and not being allowed to talk about their feelings, and that is, you know, 30, 40 years in them as men being drilled into them like you don't cry you don't talk about your feelings like be tough yada 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 and it's not going to happen overnight it won't but if you can sit down with them and say this is really important to me can we just talk about it I think that's where it start it would have to start and you as the mom extending a little grace because it is going to be really really hard mm-hmm. for them I mean, as it is for anybody that was raised the way that we were raised, I think, to let some of those things go that for some reason were so ingrained in us unconsciously, that's hard to let those go. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And again, we're speaking in generalities, but like- Yes, yes. Stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. They're just incomplete. Mm -hmm, They're mm -hmm. generally true. They're just incomplete. And so don't come at us for that. (laughs) Or come at me, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. So one of the last things I touched on it briefly, but the importance of like figuring out how not to undermine each other, Mm -hmm. I think, especially as you're starting to shift this is still challenging for me and Ben. And we have to talk regularly, and we screw it up regularly. But what it looks like in my family is Ben will step in and try to do something the boys react in like a not appropriate kind of way. Mm -hmm. I say nothing. I remain silent thinking I cannot jump in every time Mm -hmm. they won't do what he says or he has a problem or they don't respond the right way or they have any kind of negative interaction. I cannot jump in every time because that's undermining him. Ben often thinks, can you help me out here? You're just (laughs) letting them, you're just acting like, Everything on, they're doing is I'm fine. I'm on my own over here. <laughs> right. I'm on an island. And he gets frustrated and tends to just walk away. And I get frustrated because he walked away. <laughs> but he's frustrated with me because I didn't help him. Mm-hmm. And I think, I can't help you. I can't. I cannot do that every time because then I am, I'm undermining you in front of them. And I thought I was doing a good thing, but it's, it's, right. it's not helpful for him. So we have to talk regularly about what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do in those situations? Here's my thought process. And he'll say the same thing. Well, I, you know, I don't know what to do and I, I need your help. And so we, we talk through like, okay, how can we do that differently? How can we in the moment communicate? That's what we need. I do think it's important to have some kind of like 
signal or like hootie knock it off <laughs> right caw caw um stop it <laughs> so that again so you're not saying don't talk to them that way in front of your kids because mm-hmm. that can be that's not great to do either that can be problematic but can be some kind of like you are not well right now i need you to take a time out mm-hmm. i need you to get out of here and we will do that sometimes and i'll just go up and say like do you need a minute i think mm-hmm. you need to go to the bath do you need to go downstairs <laughs> maybe go outside <laughs> and he in the same way like i got it you can go watch your shows or go do whatever but that ha- that needs to happen quietly and away from them and then any kind of debriefing or processing of it needs to happen after they're in bed or mm-hmm. you're alone they cannot be part of that process because they will just learn how to triangulate you, how to use you against each other. It's like, you know, and kids try to do it now. They'll come and say, ask dad, can I have a piece of candy? And he says no. And they come right and say, can I have a piece of candy? I didn't know they talked to their dad. Right. And I say, yes, that's triangulation. That's that's not good. So as much as we can cut down on that, the better. But there's got to be, then there's got to be this ongoing conversation between us of, that didn't go well. What do we think happened there? Or you had a tone tonight. Mm-hmm. And yep, Lincoln was frustrated because you had a tone. Or Ben will say like, you asked him if he wanted to do it. And then he told you and you you must not have really wanted to know if he wanted to do it because you, you now you're trying to talk him into it. Mm-hmm. And so we have those, but we don't do that in front of the kids. Can't do that in front of your kids. Mm-hmm. Have to find a way to kind of step out. Now, sometimes we all say like, we don't do it perfectly all the time, mm-hmm. but that needs to be the goal. That may also be why some parents, again, it is so much work just to like figure out how to do it with your kids, like to do this whole thing. And then to try to figure out like, I don't want to have to have all these conversations with my <laughs> partner on like, what we do good today? How could we do that better? Why did that happen? It is so exhausting. Mm-hmm. I promise you, as you start and get better at it, those conversations get less intense and we have to have them less and less and we just you kind of develop this like shared language of Mm -hmm. you know what happened there right (laughs) you know what happened okay cool let's go on moving on (laughs) but that also takes some work of developing that relationship enough where you can call each other on your stuff which is a sign of a healthy relationship we want Mm -hmm. to be able to do that in our relationships and marriages for sure yeah and we can we're just committed to coming back together to say this is important to us we want to raise our children this way we don't get it right every time we are battling all of our own stuff in different ways and we're going to help each other with that we're going to forgive each other when we screw it up Mm -hmm. and we're just going to do the best we can and try again tomorrow when we completely mess it up But that kind of just ongoing dialogue and commitment, I think, is what will make some real headway in this type of transition and feeling Mm -hmm. like we are so far apart. Yeah. If you can just start to even like turn toward each other in this, I think we'll feel just astronomically different just long term. Yeah. All right. I hope that was semi helpful. I know we covered a we covered a lot of ground fairly quickly. Mhm. I mean, relationships are just hard and this is Amen. No different. <laughs> so, 
I think if it boiled down to one thing, it would be like, make sure this is a parenting issue, not a relationship issue. Mm -hmm. And then look for those little ways to just share information, share your heart, share your why, share why it's important. And listen and Mm -hmm. be receptive to their concerns and what they think is going to, how we're going to screw them up this way, all those things. And then find a way to kind of turn toward each other and take just even like tiny, tiny steps in the same direction. Yeah. So, all right, we'll wrap it up for this one. We hope this was helpful and answered your burning question. (laughs) It's burning questions. Scholar.google.com, y'all. It'll change your life. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parental Development. If you found this helpful at all, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you choose to stream. And if you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, email info at parentaldevelopment.com. We'd love to hear from you to know that someone else is actually listening. And remember, we're all doing the best we can in this parenting thing. So survive the day and keep the kids alive. See you next time.